Give me an um, example of what you mean. What voices are destructive and what are helpful? Yeah, yeah. The the big destructive one um, is the food police. Uh, the food police are this um, really negative authoritarian voice. And it can come from either the outside, from, you know, um, people who are in our lives or the news or the media or influencers or gosh, they're everywhere, actually. Um, and then um, that can also get internalized. And then the food police can be our own voice in our head, um, policing our behavior and saying, you should be doing this and not that. That was our next guest, Jennifer Ball, and she's going to help us dismantle and reframe those food police voices so that we're not stuck in that diet-centered, weight-centered approach, and so we can enjoy food again and live fully. All right, folks, let's cue the music. You're listening to the One Small Bite Podcast with me, your host, David Roscoe. For over a decade, I have built a successful nutrition practice helping thousands of people thrive, nourish their life, and break the cycle of crazy diets. We will take one small bite at a time to transform your health and develop a positive relationship to food. So let's chop the diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Okay, are you ready? Let's do this. Hola, welcome to the One Small Buy podcast, where people come to avoid hearing more restrictive food rules. Hey there, I'm your host, David Orozco, certified intuitive eating, registered dietitian, nutritionist, and my website is OrozcoNutrition.com. Come and visit us when you get a chance. Well, today I just want to say I'm super excited because you heard in that pre-roll about the topic. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit about dismantling these food voices, especially this time of year when New Year's resolutions and people wanting to make changes in their lives are really, really strong. So listen in how Jennifer is going to help us dismantle and reframe those voices in a way that can be very productive so we can go back to enjoying food and, you know what, living fully. First, let me tell you a little bit about Jennifer. She's a registered dietitian nutritionist that also practices from that weight-inclusive, intuitive eating, health-at-every-size lens, and you'll hear that in the interview today. And she is, of course, a member of the Orozco Nutrition team. She's been with us for a little over six months. She loves working with older adults to help them feel good through aging. She also does not shy away from anything gastrointestinal disorders and can help you troubleshoot barriers around the eating. And I'm really excited because I think she has a really good perspective on this topic today. Before we get started, I also want to apologize. The audio quality I didn't realize was not being recorded through the mic like you can hear now, but it still works and it does sound a little bit like I'm going to tell but you know what? Hey, it works and it was a great interview. So, you know... I think you're going to get a great amount of information and a good way of reframing the way we think about food and the way we think about eating. So let's get started with the interview. All right, here we go. Hey, Jennifer. Welcome to the One Small Bite Podcast. How are you? I'm great, David. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thank you for asking. 
I'm really excited to get our episode started today. We're going to talk about some really important stuff, especially now that we're in this January New Year's resolution concept mindset. And I think you bring up a really, really great topic. But before we get there, we probably want to let our listeners know a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about you. Who are you? What do you do? Why are you even on here? (laughs) Right. Well, uh, yeah, thank you for having me on, David. So uh, I work for you. I work with you. You do? Um, Really? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So I am from Georgia. Um, My parents um, planted me here at birth, and I call myself an adopted Southerner um, because I just have always been in Georgia. And over the years, I've grown to really love it. and so uh, before the dietitian stuff, I was um, actually trying to find my way. I was, um, I tried on a various, you know, di- or I tried various jobs and none of them really were clicking for me. It, none of it really felt important or like my purpose. Um, and so what I did notice is that I was getting into a major rut. Um, I started not feeling well. Um, I was um, looking back, you know, um, eating in a way that dragged me down. Um, I was noticing that I couldn't get up the stairs very well. I was winded all the time. I was like, oh, you know, I got to I got to switch this up. So I started reading and reading, like, how do I, you know, become healthy? And I stumbled upon nutrition and dietetics. And I was like, oh, my gosh, this is really fascinating. And I read about what a dietitian did and I was like, oh, I want to do this. Like, this is, this is it. And I really felt like I found my purpose. And I, to be honest, I went into dietetics with a more functional and integrative holistic idea, you know, that if everyone just, you know, moved more and ate less would all, you know, be um, healthier. And I wanted to be on that side of things and help educate people and, you know, I, um, I realized after, uh, so many years of education and then my internship, which was mostly in the hospital that, um, the notions that I came in with to dietetics were not exactly, um, they were, you know, well-intended, but I guess that, you know, but misleading, uh, what I've found is that, you know, yes, there's power in food, but, um, I use it in a different way now. Um, now I'm very much uh, recognizing uh, why uh, diet culture can be so harmful um, so that I really responded well when I learned more about intuitive eating and also health at every size just because of the evidence that's there and also just my own experience seeing bodies in um, different states um, and seeing health at every size. So I've really switched around like how I feel about the power of food. But um, yeah, I, I went from someone wanting to like, oh, you know, if I just do the recommendations, it'll all work out. But, you know, I realized that I could not like go into a session with a client and say, oh, just be like me and it'll all work out. Because let's face it, I was in college and I had two hours to work out. I had all the time in the world to prepare my own meals. And I'm like, this is not real life. (laughs) 
Yeah, right. Exactly. (laughs) I just knew like that. I I couldn't go in and honestly say that to, you know, the single moms that I work with or the older adults. Um, So life is just way more complicated than that. Um, So I'm I'm really happy to be on this team um, where we talk about nutrition in a real world way. Um, And I just feel like I'm more so empowering people rather than dictating what they should be doing all the time. Yeah, I like that you're using empowering people. I think that that's definitely our main approach with a lot of clients that we work with. You said something a little while ago that I thought would be very interesting to touch on here. Your life experiences sounds like they've led you into um, understanding and paying more attention to the voices, specifically those food voices in your head. You talked about fixing people with food and the belief that they, if they were like you, that they, they could just, you know, fix themselves. And I think that a lot of that comes from those voices in our heads. And I think that, you know, that's very challenging for a lot of us. I'd love for you to talk to me a little bit about what these voices are and how we define them and, you know, what they're doing to us. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about what those voices are called and and what what's happening there. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and first, I want to point out that, you know, I was first introduced to the idea of these voices by the intuitive eating um, book by Evelyn Triboli and Alish Resch, because um, without them, I would have never been able to name it and identify it. Um, so that's one of the ways that book was so impactful, because when I was reading it, it was like, oh, my gosh, they are explaining exactly like what I hear from patients, clients, and even in my own head and being able to identify it and name it can be really powerful. So um, these eating voices are basically the thoughts that come up surrounding food, your eating behaviors, your food choices, and they can be emotional even. Um, And some of those voices are helpful and others are not. They are destructive. Give me an um, example of what you mean. What voices are destructive and what are helpful? Yeah, yeah. The the big destructive one um, is the food police. Uh, the food police are this um, really negative authoritarian voice. And it can come from either the outside, from, you know, um, people who are in our lives or the news or the media or influencers or gosh, they're everywhere actually. Um, And then um, that can also get internalized. And then the food police can be our own voice in our head, um, policing our behavior and saying, you should be doing this and not that. There's a lot of shoulding involved. (laughs) Um, You know, if anyone's familiar with that, um, therapy term, like don't should all over yourself. Um, (laughs) They might um, be able to conceptualize what I mean by the food police. Um, So something really um, common might be, oh, I shouldn't eat past 8 p.m. because if I do, I'll be more likely to gain weight or I will gain weight, something more definitive. Um, But the food police can be tricky So, you know, even if the word should or might is there, like it, you know, it might hunt around like, um, 
well, I guess I could do this, but the consequences would definitely be this. So I think that one of the things that you're really alluding to more than anything else is that these voices get internalized and they become part of our own vernacular, our own narrative in our own in our minds. Where do people get those voices from? How is it that they're getting those voices? Where is it coming from? Yeah, that's a great, great question. So um, when we are children and we're eating, we don't really have a lot of these eating voices. We, we eat um, just what we want when we want it, what is provided there. And then over time, um, due to like our uh, home environment or our school environment or our working environment or just consuming, um, you know, TV, magazines, um, social media, we start to get this idea that um, there is a right way to eat um, and and you have to do X in order to achieve Y. So if you, you want to look a certain way, you're going to have to follow this particular diet. Um, and over time, um, whether you realize you're taking in these messages or not, we're constantly bombarded in our society with um, food policing thoughts. And so we get disconnected from what we want to eat versus what other people are telling us to eat. So that gets internalized. Um, and it can be obvious or not. Um, you know, some people may not even realize like how, um, messages and like TV shows or, um, magazines kind of have that embedded into the idea. Like I'm constantly, I grew up in the eighties. Okay. So when I go back and rewatch my, some of my favorites, um, the person in the larger body is always, um, represented in a certain way, in a very negative way. And I realize now how much that's influenced me on my views, having gone through health at every size training, realizing that, oh, you know, it's not just, um, people in large bodies who eat a lot of food that has, that's not true. Um, so sorry, I got off on a tangent there, but, um, Oh, it's okay. I think it's no, really helpful to, to, to hear yeah. you say that. I think one of the things that I'm thinking you're here, I'm hearing you say is that a lot of these voices are coming from media outlets, social media. It's also coming from from our childhood and how we're directed to eat by our parents that step away from our natural intuitive signals of our body. And I think that that's very important. I think that you're also alluding to how on TV shows that you're talking about with an example of a person in a heavy body, a character in a heavy body, um, it then creates an image in our minds of how that person may be viewed negatively. And so therefore, if they're viewed negatively, then the voice in my mind is I can never be like that person. So then maybe you create a voice about a certain food that you might think is bad for you and mm -hmm. therefore associate becoming that negative or that unlikely person that you don't want to be. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. And if you don't mind, I'd, I'd love to share like more concrete example. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. So um, just the other day, one of my clients um, had really no exposure to health at every size. And we were having a conversation about things that she 
love to do like bike ride or zip lining or, you know, all these really like high physical activity things, you know, um, she's kind of a little bit of adrenaline junkie. And I was like, wow, that's awesome. And then um, she shared something that just is a great example of what we're talking about. She had never realized that she could be doing these things with the body she currently has, which is, you know, uh, categorized as a person in a large body. Um, and so we talked about how it might be helpful for her to, um, see some of those people in action. So I shared with her some people on Instagram that are doing just that. And I'm really curious to see what her reaction is going to be because she was definitely putting her life on pause because um, society told her, like, because you're this size, you don't belong. You don't get to do these things. Um, so I'm working with her to break down um, the fact that that's just what, you know, <laughs> um, fat phobia does. They kick people out uh, unnecessarily. Um, so I'm, you know, I think that as kids, we're constantly giving those, you know, uh, signals that, oh, this person's larger and they're, uh, you know, all these, um, and I'm going to, sorry if this, this might be triggering for some, but, um, you know, I just remember in the eighties, like people in larger bodies equated like lazy, they overate, particularly like sweets or candy bars and things like that. And they just weren't, you know, taking care of themselves. And there was this moral obligation to, to do that. So, um, you know, now I'm realizing with health at every size, that's just, uh, somebody's, you know, view of a person that is not even correct. Um, because there are people of various shapes doing various different things. Yeah. It reminds me of the previous episode that I had, um, episode 122 about fat phobia. And I talked about, uh, Mirna, uh, Valerio, who is a Spanish teacher, choir, uh, director, and she's Juilliard trained, um, and she is an ultra marathoner, but in a large body, she's 250 pounds. The concept doesn't resonate in people's minds. You think ultra marathoner and you think of this thin, lean, fast uh, person from who knows, maybe even a different country you might think of. And that's that perception that's in your mind. And therefore, a person in a large body doesn't see enough of that. And mm -hmm. so therefore they can't be there. Another analogy that I think about is gender roles. Like for example, when there are kids in the playground, if you're as a parent, if you're dressing your child, if you're dressing your daughter in a skirt or a dress, mm -hmm. but your daughter loves monkeying around on the monkey bars or you know on the swing and jumping around, hanging upside down, mm -hmm. now she isn't able to do that because she's wearing a dress or a skirt. Mm -hmm. uh, I always think of my daughter because my daughter is so much like that. She loves jumping around. I think she's going to be a parkour or she's going to be an American Ninja Warrior kids or something like that <laughs> because she is fast and she jumps and she's agile. And so we then create a perception of what a gender should be, just like we create a perception of a person in a large body. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm going to move away a little bit and talk a little bit about these specific 
food voices, mm -hmm. um, uh, I, I really highlight the food police voice. And I think you talk about um, health at every size, but we also you also mentioned intuitive eating with Evelyn Trivoli and Elise Resch. And I think they really made a great diagram, a great explanation of what those food police voices are. And so there are two uh, archetypes of, of those voices. Can you talk about those? Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, I just want to reiterate that, um, you know, we went into the uh, the fat phobia aspect because, you know, that can influence these eating voices because we don't want to be in that category. Um, so, yeah, but the, so the, the destructive um, voices are things like the food police, but there's also the nutrition informant. And when I was beginning my career in dietetics, um, this was me, <laughs> um, you know, and a lot of dietitians, unfortunately, like we get caught in this trap because of how we're trained and what we're taught. Um, and we have a lot of information in our head that, <laughs> um, and then the last, uh, destructive voice is, um, the diet rebel. So this is, um, the person that, um, you know, gets, uh, tired of following all the rules and that that's okay. That is expected actually. So then they, um, you know, rebel. Um, and then, uh, unfortunately if like taken, you know, to a darker place, they can start eating in secret, um, and things like that. Um, but you know, all these voices, um, are really based off of Eric Burns, who was a, a Canadian psychotherapist. He, uh, realized that the way we interact with the world, um, he took our ego and divided it up into the parent, the adult, and the child. And uh, what we're beginning to explore is how this dynamic may also work internally. So the food police is more like the parent. The nutrition informant is the adult, and the diet rebel is definitely the child. Um, and that's not a bad thing, which I hope we'll talk about more. Um, but these voice identities um, can get really strong. They can take on an emotional toll and they can also, they can be destructive because they can cause us to be too strict. Um, they can lead to uh, eating disorders or disordered eating um, and put a lot of unnecessary um, uh, self-blame and um, uh, isolation on a person. And the flip side of that is um, the voices that are allies, that are supportive. And this is what we try to introduce to uh, our clients in, at Orozco Nutrition. And, and any intuitive eating counselor will provide um, these other voices that are helpful. Um, they're supportive. And um, thankfully, there's four of them instead of just three. So that's uh, the food anthropologist, the nurturer, the rebel ally, and the nutrition ally. So let's talk a little bit about the differences of those. You talked about the food police, the nutrient informant, and the food or diet rebel. Um, give an example of a food police and of each, and then we can then do the contrast uh, comparison with the ally voices. Oh, great, great. Love it. Um, so some a voice uh, that's going to be food police, their personality is that they're going to identify foods as good or bad. 
um, there's going to be a lot of food rules and there's also going to be a sense of judge and jury. It's a highly critical voice. Um, and some examples are um, bread is bad and it needs to be limited. Um, and then uh, something for the um, more experienced listeners out there, there's this really terrible old expression and it goes a moment on the lips a lifetime on the hips. <laughs> I've heard a, I heard another one is if uh what's this if it's too hard to read then it's too hard to digest. Oh my gosh. It, no. It, no. Yeah, <laughs> reading the ingredients on, in a food oh. label. Oh, yeah. Or God. another one another one that I heard is um the longer on the shelf uh what is it the shorter my life. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. my gosh. <laughs> All of those. I, heard of those. Yeah. Uh, I know what you mean. I. Oh, no, wait, wait. I know what it is. The shorter, no, the longer the shelf life, the shorter my life. Right, right. Yeah. Like I saw something in a magazine that said, like, you know, for every hot dog you eat, it takes off like two minutes of your life. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you can, but. Yeah, you can hear how critical and how judgmental and how uh, othering and how damaging and negative the 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 voice that you know concept is that saying mm -hmm. and because eventually um because you are following these rules you start policing others sometimes mm -hmm. and start seeing them as other like well i don't do that and they shouldn't be either that's the point policing. Yeah. yeah and yeah. you know this can even and and the thing is it's a sneaky voice because it can come out of good intentions. Mm. You know, parents want kids to be healthy. They want them to eat all their nutrients or vitamins, minerals, you know, food groups, et cetera. And, you know, um, or someone we care about, um, we, we get in this trap of policing others, you know, out of the fear that, you know, this food is going to kill them, um, or yeah. shorten their life. And that, that kind of anxiety is exactly what, diet culture like feeds off of you know <laughs> it's just such a ridiculous cycle but we're all we all get trapped in it because it's just everywhere it's so invasive so it's not even though it's ridiculous um it it's not it's understandable that we all oh, get caught up in this it's very common yeah. yeah it's very common and so we we all uh fall into those societal norms and that vernacular sticks in our minds as well next to like any good police officer on the beat, they are, do a great job because they have a snitch. I, I like <laughs> I like calling the nutrient informant the snitch, the police, the, the CI, if you will, the, conf the confidential informant <laughs> mm -hmm. for the police. Can you tell them what I mean by that? Oh man, I love that the snitch. <laughs> yeah, because. Uh... The new for the informants definitely like uh, you know in cahoots. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the, the police officer's CI, you know. Mm -hmm. yeah. So um, this one uh, is really the sneakiest of the sneaks because um, the personality of the nutrition informant is that um, they see food only for physical health. That's good. Uh, they are really wrapped up in something called healthism. Um, and this is when, uh, you know, this kind of concept that I've, uh, learned throughout the years is a big reason why I completely moved away from any type of dietetic work that is 
diet culture esque. I just can't do it anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so I went back to my my roots um, as somebody who has lo- always loved food, uh, and now unapologetically. <laughs> Yeah. So this CI would be someone that is telling the police why that food is bad or why that food should be judged. Like, for example, uh, you would think that this would be positive. For example, oh, hey, officer, that broccoli has a lot of fiber and it's also rich in calcium and phytonutrients. Right. You should probably get them to eat that. And so the police goes, oh yeah, broccoli is great for me. But what we don't realize is what it is inferring. Mm -hmm. What it is inferring is if you don't eat broccoli, then you are yourself bad or not getting fiber. And therefore, this is one of the reasons why these two voices really go hand in hand, right? Let's talk about the third. Let's talk about the third voice here, which is the food or the diet rebel. Where does this guy come in from? Because I don't think he works well with the CI and the, uh, and the food police. (laughs) No, no. So this voice's personality um, is a self-destructive rebellious, uh, you know, and really though, I want to say it is due to hunger and deprivation that this happens. Um, It's not that, this isn't happening for a reason. Um, but, um, what the diet rebel will do is be like, Oh, you know, I, I ate, you know, 10 salads, you know, for 10 days for lunch and I haven't dropped a pound. So the hell with it. Um, you know, I'm just going to go get, you know, what I really wanted for lunch instead, like Popeye's chicken or whatever. And they just, you know, because that weight scale is not moving or they're not seeing, um, the results that they planned on or were told that would happen, you know, it just, everything goes out the window. Um, And this happens to so many people because they're looking at only one aspect of health most of the time. Um, So the diet rebel goes hand in hand with these harmful voices because the policing and the informant are part of the deprivation cycle that happened with food. Um, when we deny ourselves what we really want, um, the diet rebel can um, come out uh, with a force, with a force. And with some people, it goes really, really dark. Um, like I mentioned eating in secret earlier um, or just, you know, not uh, eating differently in front of other people than you do in private. Um, yeah, eating, or, yeah. Or, or really uh, being counter the as hard as they possibly can to those other i'm going to show you i'm going to eat whatever i want Mm -hmm. or i um you're not going to tell me what to do anymore which is ironic because it's their own voices in their head right and so you can see that internal struggle you can see how these voices are just so difficult to carry around but like you'd mentioned you've got these uh ally voice voices and i'd what i'd like to do is Talk about a little exercise that you you did with a group on how to reframe some of these so we can bring in the nurturing and anthropological or the, the I really liked it instead of anthropological, sometimes a, a little difficult as a voice to kind of conceptualize. I like using the idea of a child's voice here, like they're discovering things, the food is new and they're they're experiencing it all over again and so on and so forth. So we've got this nurturing, this 
um, sort of discovery or anthropological voice. We've got this ally versus this rebel. We've got the supportive voice here. How do we do some reframing so we get away from the food police, nutrient informant and diet rebel or food rebel voices? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first, it, it takes a lot of practice. <laughs> um, yes, it even, does. Yeah, because even, you know, myself, I, I'll get um, I'll get these thoughts, but now I, I know how to, you know, I'm learning to catch them much, much faster. Uh, they're not as frequent. And um, then um, working with someone is very beneficial, honestly, or at least doing some reading to figure out um, how these supportive voices could even be said, because if all you've heard are the harmful voices your entire life, it's going to be pretty difficult to do this on your own. So I highly recommend, um, you know, reading the intuitive eating book or, um, definitely finding an intuitive eating counselor, um, to help you with this. Um, especially if it's something that's not, um, coming very naturally to you. Um, but yeah, so the, the food anthropologist or that inner child, I like how you described it because it really is um, a non-judgmental observer. Um, and I like to also see it as a continuous learner because sometimes the uh, people I work with, the 60 plus crowd, uh, they're so experienced. They don't, you know, they, they already get like babied in some ways by people in their lives. So, you know, I, I think continuous learner is, is good for them. Um, <laughs> so I don't feel like I'm... <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. I, I agree with you. And I think uh, that the anthropological idea is that like an anthropologist going to a dig site, for example, mm-hmm. you know, and they have no preconceived idea of what they're discovering. Mm-hmm. And so their experiences don't really tell what that society or what that dig is telling them. And mm-hmm. so you're, you're all you're really using are facts and not judgments. Instead of emotion, you're really building on the information that's there. And I think that that's part of the, the process here with that anthropological voice. I have a great modern day example. Yeah, please. <laughs> During COVID, the beginning <laughs> of the pandemic, I think a lot of us discovered that uh, when I am stressed, I snack more often. <laughs> yes. Now that's that's just a fact. Um, well, for the, some people, not everybody. True. So yeah, yeah, I said a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot of us. Uh, it's very vague on purpose. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but uh, the the you know the harmful voices might say like, oh, stop doing that. That's that's not good. That's unhealthy. I got to lose the COVID nineteen. You know, mm-hmm. referring to the weight gain and. Um, but that's a, that's another, <laughs> that's another, episode. another day, but yeah. um, you know, it's okay. If you snacked during this time more often, it's just an observation because guess what? None of us were expecting this. We all had to develop more like coping skills to get through this thing still happening. <laughs> that's good. Um, um, let's talk about how, you used um, some of these voices. Can you give us examples of how some of these voices, I think you did a presentation for Orozco Nutrition one time and you had everybody 
give an example of a food police voice. Um, mm-hmm. Let's let's kind of reframe those. Uh, let's yeah, that's great. Give an example and then let's reframe. Them. Okay, here you go, David, from um, a participant from our uh, Thanksgiving feast or famine at Clarity Fitness. Uh, this person wrote, um, flour and sugar are as addictive as heroin and need to be avoided. Wow. <laughs> that is crazy deep. That's kind of like with the, the examples we gave a little bit earlier. Okay. So how would you reframe that statement? Whew, that one's a big one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, this one is problematic, right? Cause, um, there's a lot of new evidence that's coming out, um, about addiction behavior. Um, but I, um, find it problematic because, uh, these foods are, um, always been in our food ways around the world. Right. Um, and to compare them to, um, a street drug, uh, is pretty convoluted. Um, there was a lot of hype, um, in documentaries about sugar and there was a big backlash from the low fat, um, culture being promoted. Um, However, um, demonizing any any foods um, and saying that they're like drugs um, is not an, a helpful statement because your body does need uh, carbohydrates. And these two foods, flour and sugar, are carbohydrates. Um, now, there is a difference, right, between like candy or, a, you know, a potato or a, um, oatmeal, but um, you know, I think they all have places in our food ways, um, you know, whether that's, um, you know, a joyful eating or, you know, eating to make you feel good. Uh, so to, and heroin, you know, is something that, uh, your body doesn't need. <laughs> uh, so it's very different from food. Um, and then I think that trying to, uh, understand why, um, glu- or carbs, glucose, sugar, have um, been demonized um, unfairly uh, can be helpful by working with a dietitian or a nutritionist to realize like why they can be, um, you know, foods that are not problematic at all, but needed in our body. So, so well, I think one of the things that I'm hearing you say is the way we can reframe this as difficult as it may be is while I truly enjoy sugar and sometimes I can't stop myself from having it, I enjoy, I, I know that I can enjoy some of this later on and it doesn't have the effect on me. I know it's a little bit more of a long-winded way of reframing that statement, but that's one way of doing it. How would, would it be another way that you can reframe it? Yeah. Something short and sweet, um, would be like, well, food and street drugs are not the same. And am the getting curious about, well, am I really overeating something or, um, am I, um, you know, eating so much of this, uh, because I haven't had it in a while. I mean, there's so many questions you can ask yourself, but getting curious is helpful. I like that. You, you did that comparison, that short and sweet comparison, you know, Sugar or carbohydrates aren't a street drug. You can't compare it to a street drug. And I can enjoy this and know that I will be able to enjoy it again later on. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's good. That comparison right there is really, really smart to reframe. What's another one? 
Let's see. There's a lot about sugar in here. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sugar has been it's, so demonized, hasn't it? Yeah. No, it does. Um, oh, this one. Um, I'm too bloated for this outfit today, so I need to skip a meal. I would reframe this by saying that um, our bodies uh, require food. There are many reasons to be bloated and you don't need to punish yourself in order to fit into any clothing. Good. Yeah, that's a, really, really important. I think that it's important. Another way that I'm thinking of is important to recognize that your bloating is a body's signal. And a lot of the work that we do with clients is to help people pay attention to what their body is telling them. And so this is a judgment statement. Mm-hmm. bloating and not fitting into a dress, what it is inferring is that I did something wrong. And so I need now to punish myself by not eating this food. Right. Well, that, that's the, the underlying what is not said. Right. Exactly. The inferred information. So um, another way of reframing this is, hey, I am bloated. I must have done something where um, I need to probably eat a little bit less at this next meal so I don't feel so uncomfortable. Right, right. I mean, that, and that's one of the biggest um, hurdles, you know, because a lot of people um, are sitting down and sometimes the food tastes so good. It can be hard to not overeat it, but even like if you occasionally do that, that's fine. Um, you know, but how uncomfortable do you want to feel afterward, I guess, is the real question, right? Um, So knowing that you can always enjoy it again um, is sometimes helpful, but um, even I want to definitely underline the fact that, you know, if you are overeating certain meals, it's, it's okay. That's, it's just human. (laughs) Yeah. And again, and so is bloating. It's okay to be bloated. (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, it doesn't mean I know. <laughs> it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of reasons why we can get bloated. And in fact, people don't even realize this. You can be bloated just from drinking water, or you could be bloated from stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's a, there's it may not be a food related con- uh, uh, issue. So um, all right, let's do one more. Hmm. Let's see. Love this one. Um, hear this a lot in uh, gyms, particularly. Um, oh, yeah. Burning more than you consume. You need to burn off your food is what this is saying. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the idea is uh, I ate a lot. So I'm going to go to gym and work it off. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. It's really common. How would you reframe that? I would say that even at rest, you, your body deserves food. Um, this, you know, punishment statement that I just read comes from this idea of calories in calories out. Uh, we're learning that that's not correct at all. (laughs) Right. Um, and, um, when, you eat a meal that you feel like was too heavy or too fattening or too high in calories, whatever it may be, you know, for you, uh, just know that, um, you know, one meal is not, um, really going to make a big difference at all. Um, and that you don't have to burn off every single thing you ate. In fact, if you did, you, 
you wouldn't be there the next day. <laughs> yeah, right. So I would I would reframe it as like you always deserve to eat. Good. All right. So I enjoy working out and I also know that I enjoy eating, but the two aren't connected. Yeah. Yeah, unconnecting those two, right? We have our um basic needs as people and movement is one mm-hmm. and you know eating is the other and um it doesn't have to be a simple um in and out equation. Your body is not a um car factory, you know, <laughs> the the idea of inputs and outputs is not is too simplified for human nutrition. Yeah, our assembly lines, our yeah. physiological biological assembly lines are not the same as a car factory. (laughs) Exactly. Um, and I really think the, you know, that takes the joy out of eating. You are constantly saying like inputs and outputs, um, then, um, and also a lot of people who are in this mode, I find to be under eating. Uh, we see that a lot in athletes or people who are trying to, um, you know, move more and eat less as the recommendation goes. Um, you know, there, there's definitely a lot of problems with that, that we have to untangle. Um, and I, that's why I love working with clients like outpatient because I, I get the time to really untangle these difficult concepts, you know, the food policing, uh, versus the, you know, voices that are actually helpful and bring joy into people's lives. So to wrap things up for people, we talked uh, just in summer, we talked about what food police voices are. We talked about the two main types where we have the actual food police, the nutrient informant, and the, the food rebel or the diet rebel. Mm-hmm. And then what we are trying to do through more interoceptive awareness, meaning getting people to pay attention to their bodies, is hone in more on those ally type voices. Those nurturing, anthropological, ally, supportive voices. Mm-hmm. What would you say is one small thing that listeners could do going forward to help them better confront or be present with those food police voices so that they can change them mm-hmm. more into ally voices? Oh, you said it though. You said it. You said to be present. Ah, That's it. So yeah, uh, being, being um, mindful, but not in that way that is the food police kind of mindful. (laughs) Um, Remember not, no, non-judgmental. So just checking in with yourself uh, would be another way to say this. Um, And if you're hearing a bunch of shoulds that are popping up around food and the way you eat, um, understand that this may be an unhelpful voice, or it may be helpful, just get curious about it. And um, if you find that, you know, you need help, just know that that's okay. It's really common because unfortunately, um, diet culture and misinformation is just everywhere in our society. Um, And it's easy to get wrapped up in um, those negative voices just because it's, um, a, uh, <laughs> it, it can be a, a mo- fear motivation really. Yeah. yeah. A lot of fear. 
I like what you're doing there. I, I, I like uh, being able to be present and aware from a non-judgmental lens. And I think um, I love that concept of listening to the shitting <laughs> versus not shitting, but <laughs> shitting. Oh, I think they should sound the same. <laughs> yeah, I think so too. I think that, I think I like that. That's it's very it's very uh, um, convenient. I like what you brought up though, and that goes to if you, if you don't mind me plugging my book here, it goes to the four C's. You brought up curiosity. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're paying attention from a curious lens that is that anthropological voice. This is one of the ways to open yourself up to those alloy voices that help dismantle a lot of these food police voices that feed into that body shaming and weight stigma and fat phobia that we so much in society fear. So Jennifer, thank you so much. I really appreciate you for being on the show and chatting up with us. I want to let people know that Jennifer is one of our clinicians, one of our registered dietitian nutritionists, and she is open and available to take you uh, on as a client. So if you're interested, visit us at orozconutrition.com. Jennifer, any last words? Uh, Just a big thank you, David, for um, inviting me on. It's a pleasure and an honor. And I also... um, developed a handout based off of what we were talking about today. So as a little surprise, so, um, okay. Yes. <laughs> Great. So, so are you going to, cons- are you going to put it in our show notes? Mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, by the way, peeps, um, Jennifer is the one that helps us with all of our show notes for these episodes. So uh, big high five <laughs> and a clap. <laughs> um, yeah, Jennifer, you're the best. You help us with all of that. So cool. You're going to have a, a handout for everybody. So visit our website at this, at this episode. So people mm-hmm. can get that handout. Cool. Mm-hmm. Thanks Jennifer. Thanks for, Jean- yeah. for being on and being uh, such a great guest. Oh, that was great. Thanks again, Jennifer, for some great concept, great information there. You're right. That small one-bite approach there, being present, paying attention to those voices so we can challenge them from that point of curiosity. I appreciate that, Jennifer. Thanks very much. And I love the idea of the handout. That's a great little plus for this episode. Folks, I hope you enjoyed our episode today. If you're having challenges with those food police voices, feel free Give us a shout. Go on our website, orozconutrition.com. Click on schedule an appointment. You can make a discovery call for 10, 15, 20 minutes and uh, just chat us up a little bit. We'll be happy to provide you any information. And if uh, you think we're a good fit, we can continue working together. So thanks again for paying attention, for listening in today. And I really appreciate if you would go to Apple Podcasts and leave us some stars and review. If you haven't already, also remember to download this episode and this podcast to your player of choice so you can get these episodes automatic each Wednesday when they air. All right, folks, remember, chop that diet mentality, fuel your body, and nourish your soul. Till next time, ciao. Oh, yeah.